Good morning. You're all well and excited and full of life. We have so much to be thankful for. Amen. One of the things that we've been focusing on this year is the whole issue of growth, um, which is both numerically, which is reaching out and, and with the desire to have many more people come in and join us and be part of us here. And obviously the other ongoing one for all of us is the whole issue of maturity, that we are constantly growing up in God. And I'd just like to make a few comments uh, around all of that this morning. Um, psalm 90, I don't have time this morning to unpack it, but it's a good psalm. Read it this week. You'll really get blessed <clears throat> as you have a look at it. But it's an amazing psalm that calls us into an inseparable relationship with God. And it really extols the blessing of God. And Aaron's already mentioned that out of Psalm 34 this morning. But it really extols that. It says, you know, this is what life is all about. But it asks a key question, and um, the question is this, how can God commend the works of our hands if we don't first commit them to Him? And it stresses the point that anything that doesn't have God, or in our day Christ in the centre of it, will ultimately be futile. And one of the things that, I struggle with in my conversations with many wonderful Christians that um, uh, and, and people I know and, and talk to is they often want and expect the blessing of God to be on their lives and the way that they have intended to live it. I want to say that again. They want the blessing of God to be upon their lives. These are not people who are in sin and places of darkness. They want the God's blessing to be on their lives in the way that they have intended to live it. And the issue is the gospel and the kingdom of God and who God is and what God intended for humanity just doesn't work that way. It's not what it's about. In uh, Isaiah 64 verse 5, it says this. It says, you, meaning God, You meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, which means God meets those people who rejoice in doing righteousness, who remember you, which is God, in your ways. See, God rejoices in those people doing righteousness who seek God in his ways to express this righteousness into their everyday life. We cannot conform God to our image. It's not possible. And if it was, it wouldn't happen anyway because he's not going to go there. And he's not a vendoring machine just distributing goodies. He's on a mission. And his word informs us what this mission is. We don't have to be ignorant about it. His word informs us what this mission is. And he seeks out the people that are committed to sacrifice their all to be part of this mission with him. Now, I just want you to ask yourself, are you one of them? When God's eye roams all over the world looking for the people who are saying, Jesus, I love you, but it's more than that. I want to bring my whole life, the whole essence of my being, and bring it into the mission you're about. 
And they're the people who God seeks out. It's not that he doesn't bless other people, but they are the people that who God seeks out. And so at the start of this year, uh, in Jesse's first message on growth that he spoke of, he shared how God made David king. And as a result, it becomes a priority as David gets into his kingship. And if you remember, the Philistines stole the ark and they had it and all sorts of amazing things happened both to their guys, but also to their blessing and their way of life. And David makes it a priority to go and get the ark back. Why? Because then in those days, the ark held the presence of God. And David knew that it was going to be futile him being king if he didn't have God's presence central to everything he was doing, central to the people or the community that he was working with, and central to the mission that he was embracing to take Israel where God wanted it to go. He he was a very skilled, clever man in so many different ways. Yet he knew that what he needed most was God's anointing and God's presence, and not only for him, but for the nation that he was leading and working with. And we're in the same situation today. God has a plan for Lane Park Church. He really does. And he's going to bring most of it about through the people that he has made, according to 1 Corinthians 12, which says God places people in his body where he desires them to be, through his people that he has placed here as present and future, because not everybody God wants here is here yet. That should excite us. We have a part in reaching out and bringing them in. So it's important that we understand that. So back under the old covenant, because of the fall, God brought in the law to govern or restrain human nature. That's what the law does. It governs and restrains. It puts boundaries around things that people allow themselves to do or allow society to do. And if they exceed those boundaries, God has made the state and empowered the state to be part of the discipline of all of that. It's important that we understand that. So the law is useful and purposeful and good, but it cannot change the foundational ill of human society, which is what? The human heart. The law cannot change that. It can put boundaries around it. It can put restrictions around it. But it's not until people are changed in their heart that things can really change on a permanent basis. It's very interesting to me anyway that the law was written on a tablet of stone. And what did God say about the human heart? It was a heart of stone. So for a heart of stone, God gave a law, laws written on a tablet of stone. But see, this was never intended to be a permanent measure. This is, wasn't the way that God intended it to be. So we come and I must say, forgive me, I didn't get to the sound guys to get some of these scriptures up. I need to do a better job of that. So I'm going to read them to you, but they won't be up on the visual. But so here was what God always intended from the fall on. Hebrews 8 verse 10. He says, For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And it's quoting from the Old Testament. 
After those days, says the Lord, which is the end of the old covenant, so it's the beginning of the new covenant. After those days, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Beautiful scripture, beautiful passage. Jeremiah goes on and, and uh, chapter 17 and many other places to say, before God can do that, he's got to give us a whole new heart. He's got to take out the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. How does he do that? It happens the instant we are born again. It happens the instant that we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. At that point, God supernaturally changes our heart. So instead of embracing the written law, it can embrace the heart of the Father. And out of that, it's manifested. So God's ultimate purpose was always to place the spirit of himself into human hearts in order to empower his people to break free from the fallen nature and live in harmony with him. And this is when life really starts getting good. It is so good that the word of God tells us that the Old Testament prophets could only look forward to this time in wonder, trying to imagine what it would be like what it would be like to have God's spirit in the human heart. They only looked forward and imagined it and wondered about it. You and I, as born-again people of the living God, we live in what they dreamed of. We live in what they dreamed of. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you haven't got to that point yet. You come down the front at the end of this meeting and we have people here that would love to share with you about all of that. So God's ultimate purpose was to empower his people by putting his heart, his spirit in our heart. It says in Romans 5 that God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Isn't that amazing? You woke up with that this morning if you know Jesus. And so a whole new love, God's love, Christ's love, has been shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and with it comes a whole new power and a whole new mission. God couldn't put this mission into the hearts of his people until he could empower them through his Holy Spirit to achieve it because it cannot be done in the human natural strength. So our mission is to really embrace this true nature of Christ, so much so that we bring it into every place where we are and everywhere we are sent. Obviously, it starts with us as an individual, but it should become the natural expression everywhere we go. See, we've got to move from a place, and I know you're all on this journey, so I'm just specifying it again. We've got to move from a place of salvation to a continual place of transformation. When we have been changed from one degree of glory to another, who you are today is wonderful. God is pleased with you. He loves you. You're the apple of his eye, but it's not good enough for tomorrow. 
We need to be different. We need to be renewed again and again by his Holy Spirit. We need to be dealing with our stuff. But it's not just about that. We need to be taking on more love, more joy, more peace, more faithfulness, gentleness. You know the verses. We need to be ever increasing in those things. Now, that's the Holy Spirit's power to do in our life. But what our role is, is to make ourselves available to him and cooperate to him, even with him, even if he puts a finger on some things that we don't really want to change. So how do we do this in a fallen world? And often we think, well, isn't it harmful being out there? Look what's going on out there. Looks like how horrible it is. And I don't believe that's true. Always in many places in the world, it is in some. I still believe the glory of God covers this earth and there's wonderful things happening everywhere, including in Upper Hutt and in New Zealand. Wonderful things happening out there. But Ephesians 6, 10 to 12 says this, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on God's whole armour, the armour of a heavy, heavy armed soldier which God supplies, that you may be, and here we go, guys, that you may be able to successfully stand against all the strategies and deceits of the devil. We don't have to worry about all of the evil and all of the things he is so-called doing. And he does do some and gets credit for a whole lot that I don't think he does do. See, the Christian faith was never designed to be separated from the world, never. It was never the intention. And from right from the time Jesus started his ministry, and don't hear this in the wrong way, he walked away from the temple, which was the presence of God, into the people. He spent some time in the temple, but Jesus was never moving towards the temple. He was always taking what the temple was symbolic of and for and taking that to the people. And Paul did the same in his journeys and so did the other New Testament writers and people that we all know about. And when this stopped happening for a period of time, God allowed persecution to come upon the society, we read in the book of Acts. And what did that do? It forced the disciples and the believers to go out into Judea, Samaria, and all of the other places on the current world at that time. Why? Because that's where God wants Christianity to be expressed. That's where he wants it to be worked out. And he wants to build a great church and a great community and there's a ton of scriptures for that. But he wants us to do something with what he builds within us and amongst us as his people. So we are meant to be different in the world. We are in the world but not of it. And if we don't go out into the world and make a difference, we have failed in God's mission. We have failed in what God's calling us to do and we have been empowered to do this. So I want to challenge you with this again this morning. We need to move, and if you can pick this up because I'm not playing on words, this is significant. We need to move beyond the good intentions and the failed hopes of religion to the point where we are no longer concerned for doing things for God, but instead we are equipped to do things with him. I want to say that again. 
We've got to move beyond where we're trying to do things for God to the point where we are so in tune with him, we are doing everything with him. We are partnering with him in his mission. We're walking in step with him. We don't go ahead of him. We don't fall behind, but we're walking in step with him with what he is about on this planet Earth on this very day and week and year and month and we could go on. So I want to pick up an example. There's many I could have used, but I want to pick up a story briefly about Hezekiah. And um, Hezekiah was a great king. And the story's in 2 Kings 18, if you want to read it later yourself. But Hezekiah is approached and threatened by Sennacherib, who's the king of Syria, and he's becoming all-powerful, and he's out fighting and taking territory, and he's undefeated, and everybody's starting to tremble at his name. And so he comes down to Hezekiah, and he says, you're next. You're next on the block. I'm coming down, I'm bringing my army down, and I'm going to take over all your territory. And this is interesting, and it's a whole message in itself, and I'm not going there today. But guess what is the first thing Hezekiah does? He offers him money. In fact, he gives him more than what's the equivalent today of two or three million dollars. See, here's a funny thing in the Western world because we have affluence and money and and things like that. We think money will fix everything. We think just keep throwing more money at it and more money at it and more money at it and sooner or later it'll come right. And we're tireless in this. We keep doing it. We've been doing it for over 100 years. And the fact that it doesn't fix, it does fix some things, but the fact that it doesn't really fix anything doesn't make us think maybe we need a new strategy here. See, so I hope none of you have preached about this before. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands. I hope you don't buy lotto tickets. But see, we think if we could just, so let's make it more sanctified. If we could just gain an inheritance, now we're not wishing anybody dead, so we've got to be careful every time we get into this whole field. But if we could just get an inheritance and have a million dollars, everything will come right. And here's the amazing thing, and you read them, they're all over the internet, they're on TV, they're on documentary. So many people say that winning lotto ruined my life. So that's not the testimony. I'm not against welfare and help and support and ministering to the poor and all of those things, but money doesn't solve the problem. So back to Hezekiah. He gives him several million dollars to keep us off his back. So he doesn't work. It it doesn't work. So then Sennacherib, because he's pretty cunning, you see, and we see so much of the enemy in this, he takes the money But then he says to Hezekiah, actually, that's not going to help you because guess what? I'm on a mission from God. I'm coming down to take your place, Hezekiah, to usurp your authority, to take over all your people. And guess what? It's your God that's empowered me to do it. See, so here's the second thing the enemy does. 
First he says, keep throwing money at it, and when that either runs out or becomes futile, he says, actually, I'm in the same place you are with the same cause you are, but I'm more greatly empowered than you are to do this thing. And he tries to bring us, with one of his most powerful tools, he tries to bring in discouragement. But Hezekiah gets a little wise and thinks, really, I'm going to check with God and find out if that's true. So he calls the prophets and the people around and they begin to fast and pray and he gets everybody around and he gets a word from God. And at this point, things begin to change. Now let me press pause for a minute because I want to pick up another point in this story. Hezekiah has been a great king. In fact, here's what the scriptures say about him in 2 Chronicles. And everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly and so he prospers, prospered. So he's been a great guy. The scripture even says he's been a great guy and a great king. And suddenly, now he's in this whole situation and he cries out and he says, God, why are you treating me like this? Look at all the good things I've done. Look how faithful I've been to you. Look how obedient I've been to you. Why are you doing this to me? And I hope you can hear the echo of some of our own attitudes in this. We line up for service for God and we do it to the best of our ability, but hard times come, difficult times come. Things don't seem to be going the way we expected them to in so many different ways. And frequently we can come and come back to God and say, why are you letting this happen to me? Why are you doing this to me? Aren't I one of your faithful servants? And the answer is yes, you are. And God knows that. So we get stuck in this thing. The situation. So I want to give you Jesus' answer to it. Because I got the answer to that question. How did I get it? By asking it over and over and over and over again and all my journey with life with God, I've got the answer to it. So here it comes. Here's the great pearl of wisdom, guys. Are you ready for it? Jesus answered it. You've all been asking this question. Here it goes. <coughs> it's in <coughs> John 13 verse 7 and it says this. Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. There's the answer. Do you like it? Did that just solve all your problems in life? Jesus said, See, the trouble is, Bruce, you couldn't understand what I'm doing. You wouldn't understand what I'm doing. And if it was within your realm of reason, it wouldn't be any good for you. He says, One day you will understand. I don't know when that one day is. Sometimes it's the next day, sometimes it's the next month. Most of it, I believe, is after the Lord returns or we go to be with Him. <clears throat> so, what are we left with when Jesus says that? Learn that scripture off by heart, God, because God's going to want to say it to you over and over again. See, the only answer in those situations is to fall back on what we do know about God, that he's good and righteous and just. There is no malice in him. <clears throat> Nobody can whisper in his ear behind our back and undermine us. 
His heart is set towards us as his sons and daughters. He loves us with an everlasting love. His mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness never ends. And in the whole mystery of what is going on, we've got to fall back to those things and tell us and tell ourselves and tell one another over and over again, remind one another how great our God is and at that point put a full stop behind the sentence. The why question doesn't work much. It doesn't work very often. God doesn't feel he needs to give an account of himself. He feels that being God is enough. He feels that sending Jesus to die for our sins is enough. He feels that bringing his Holy Spirit and putting his Holy Spirit within our heart to reassure us of the hope of life and eternity and his goodness and his attribute is enough. And we live with a measure and a degree of mystery and we need to get used to it because for as least as long as we're on this earth, that's what the journey is going to be like. And we thank God for the revelation we do get and he does bring to us. But there's always a degree of mystery in life. However, back to Hezekiah, he gets the answer. In this case, he seeks God and he's given the answer. And the Bible tells us that Sennacherib lays siege to the fortified cities, thinking he was going to conquer them for himself. And he sees that God has really blessed Sennacherib and he is after the blessing and he's going to come down in his power and he's going to take it. So Hezekiah takes this threatening letter that Sennacherib wrote to him, and he puts it on the table before the altar of the Lord, and he says, here, God, what do you think about this? That's powerful. This man claims he represents you. This man claims he's going to violate your kingdom. This man claims he's going to usurp your authority because you made me king and he's going to take over your role. This man claims he's taking over everything in your name. And God says, does he? Is he? Let's see about that. This man is undefeated. He's in fear everywhere. He's won every fight, every victory, Sennacherib I'm talking about. He's feared everywhere. See, here's the point. God never intended Hezekiah's life and journey and what God had commissioned him to do. He never intended to give it to anybody else. And there are things that God's given you, your gifts, your skills, your abilities, your experiences in life. What you've learned and understand about him, the true wealth that you hold. And nobody can ever take that away from you. It can't be touched. But here's the problem. The enemy, the devil, Satan, can't get the blessing of God, so he comes and tries and steals it from you. And here's where it goes, which we're going to see with Hezekiah. Not only is God going to fight now for his own name and his own kingdom, but he, is, he allows Hezekiah to plunder everything Sennacherib had and took. 
and there's not even a fight because God says he's not even going to come down here and God takes him out in his own country. He dies, this is Sennacherib, prematurely before he even gets a chance to set foot in Israel. And the whole place falls over and the story goes on. See, here's the point. When we shift from doing things our way to putting God's will first, our rewards and blessings increase, but the stakes go up, guys. I believe the stakes are going to go up for Lane Park Church. I believe the stakes are going to go up for where God wants to take us and what God wants us to do. Will the blessings increase? Yes. Will the rewards, rewards increase? Yes. Some we get in this life, some are not till the next life. But I believe the stakes go up as well. We encounter a greater presence of the enemy. But he can't touch God's blessing that God's given to this church and this community. He can't rob it from us. And if we position ourselves before God right and work together as a community on God's mission, not only will we maintain what God's given us, we'll plunder what the enemy has illegally taken. Amen? That's what we need to be about. I'm moving to the finish. See, I, I spend too much time on Facebook and on other aspects on the internet arguing with people, particularly people who are Christians, and, and some of them were amongst us. Now, don't start thinking names and people. And they're telling us what's wrong with the church and what's wrong with the Christian faith and what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that. And they're firing it out, speaking with authority and all of those things. And I read these things and I say, I'm not going to do anything about that. And then, you know, it gets me every time I finish up. And many of you have read some of the things that I've done and some of the things what I say. So I'm sitting down trying to mind my own business down in my study the other day. And out comes some more of this stuff. So I thought, okay, I might try a little bit of a different approach. So I fired up there, okay, guys, you've spent a lot of time criticizing what's wrong with Christians, what's wrong with the church, what we're not doing. I said, so here, guys, I said, put up your philosophy, put up the things that you are doing in your life so we can all have a good critique at them and put up what it's produced in your life and why it's been more fruitful than what you claim to see in Christianity. Well, nothing got put up. (laughs) So I thought, well, sometimes, you know, the airwaves get a bit funny and things like that. So I posted again. And nothing got put up. So I have the email addresses of these people. So I thought, obviously, you've been a bit busy to read your posts lately. So here's these questions I'm asking, and I email them. (laughs) One of them calls me and says, hey, Bruce, we need to catch up at some point. But there's still nothing there. There's still nothing up there. See, here's here's the point. We can all criticise. And we're not perfect, and the church isn't perfect, and we can, but we can all criticise. But we're tired of just listening to criticism. Let's convert it to action. Let's get out and do something. And even if it may be imperfect, let's do it in the name of Jesus Christ, and he will make up the gap and make up the difference. And let's start changing things and fixing things instead of complaining about things all the time.
See, the Bible tells us to get rid of whatever our heart condemns us from and embrace confidence in faith that God is truly at work in this planet and he delights to do most of his work through his people and he tells us it's a privilege. He tells us don't deny ourselves these things in life because they're the essence of life and what we do with him puts us in the greatest place we can be on this planet. We have some work to do, guys. We do. We as Lane Park Church, we want to grow. We want to grow numerically. We want to grow in maturity. We want to grow in our knowledge of one another. We want to get together and let's get about this. And look at us, is anyone here perfect? No, but what everybody does have in common here is we all love Jesus and we love and stand with one another. We do, we've got a long history of it and it's evident every day. Let's take the wealth that God's given us here and let's get out there and embrace the truth That whatever circumstances we might be in, God is in control. God's ordering our life. God's taking us where he wants to go. He's just asking us to be faithful and obedient. It may not seem to be successful. We can't judge that. We don't see everything. But we can be faithful and obedient. So let's embrace growth and maturity. This is our mission. Let's join together and enjoy the great privilege of doing this. And I just want to finish on these two verses. Proverbs 4 verse 25 says this, Let your eyes look directly ahead. Don't look behind, guys. Let your eyes look directly ahead. And let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Amen. Father, we want our ways to be established because they glorify you. We want our ways as an individual. We want to walk righteously, which is birthed out of our love for you and a passion for your kingdom. We can't do it alone, Lord. We can't do it without you and nor can we do it without one another. Embrace us not only as individuals, Father, but as a community and lead us forth so that in the next five years and 10 years and 15 years and whatever, Lane Park Church is growing in numbers and in strength because of its heart and its passion for the King and his kingdom. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.